This is Teron Brooks, and welcome back to another episode of Reviews and Done, your number one spot for exclusive interviews with some of the people who paved the way in music industry, film industry, and so much more. This is Reviews and Done. Derek, take it away. What's going on, world? Once again, it's your boy, Derek Dunn, back with another interview for Reviews and Done. My guest today is a 30-year veteran of the game, the one and only Troy Taylor. Now, you might know Troy for his work with Trey Songs, but Troy's resume speaks for itself. I mean, Troy's been doing music since I was in third grade, and here I am at age 39. So this brother's worked for everybody from Aretha to Patty to Whitney, just a plethora of artists. So I'm very excited to hear Troy's, everything Mr. Taylor has to say. So welcome to the line, everybody. Mr. Troy Taylor. How are you doing Thank today, you for sir? having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm good. Oh, thank you, sir. So let's get right into it. So I understand you grew up in New Haven, Connecticut. Who were some of your early musical inspirations? Um, growing up, definitely was Stevie Wonder, uh, Isley Brothers, um, as well as Kenny Loggins, Billy Joel, uh, Steely Dan, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, and, um, Jeff Lorber on the jazz side, Bob James uh, on the gospel side, uh, the Winings Commission, Vanessa Bell Armstrong, the Clark Sisters. Um, so I, it was all over the place. It was like in every genre I had an influence. Nice. You know, you're the first person I've heard mention Kenny Loggins as an influence. I normally don't hear that. Oh. And I think a lot of my generation, like the 30, 30, 30 plus crowd, they don't uh-huh. know that Kenny Loggins was, was much more than Footloose. Kenny Loggins was a soulful cat. Before oh, yes, very soulful. White, blue eyes, so definitely. So shout, shout out to Kenny Loggins. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks may be surprised to learn prior to becoming a producer, you initially had plans of becoming a solo artist and actually had a deal with Motown. Why did mm-hmm. you decide to change routes? Um, mainly because being an artist, you know, you have, you're putting yourself out there to be, you know, acceptable to a lot of things that you may not be, you know, that you may not care to be a part of or be looked at on. And, you know, when you're, when you're out there, your music is, is what you're selling. So if you decide you don't want to do certain things, it's going to affect your music. I didn't want to be in a position to, if I decide I don't want to do an interview and, you know, they're not going to get, you know, mad and stop playing my music. I just, I'm just a little too real and too upfront and too confrontational to be an artist. So I've decided to just stay, stay in the back. I can be myself, go anywhere I want to, and do what I love. I totally respect that. And I think folks would, always be, would also be surprised about how many cats were, you know, before they became producers, were artists. You know, a lot of people were yeah. surprised to learn after Andre Harrell passed that he was, you know, in a group. And, you know, recipes Andre Harrell. Right. But Mm-hmm. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, that was that stuff back in the early days. Mm-hmm. When did you and Charles Ferrer link up to form Farrar. the characters Ferrar? Um, when I when I did when, when I signed to Motown, he and I were partners. Um, we met during the time when I first moved to New York. I ended up staying with him and his wife, at, his girl at the time, but they, they got married. But I moved in with them in Brooklyn, and so that's where I moved to when we became partners. 
Um, and you know, so I was, we were partners when I signed as an artist. Yeah, man. The work you did with um, and the character service was just classic stuff. And I think the first time I can recall seeing the character's name was on the Silver remix you guys did for Babyface's remix album, A Closer Look. How was the experience yeah. with face? Um, well, I didn't work with him. That was that project was given to me. He wasn't there. Um, they just sent me the files, you know, the music, and I did that. So I never really got a chance to work with him. I just I just did the remix. Throughout the early 90s, the characters were also making a name for themselves. One of my personal favorites is Tony Thompson's Goodbye Eyes. Were you surprised from a vocal standpoint? Because, you know, Tony could just sing his, sing his butt off. Oh, that he never no, I knew, I knew. As a well, he, 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 no, he, he, he had some mental issues that, you know, were way earlier on than what we're seeing now. You know what I mean? Mental issues. He had it back then. So it kind of stopped him from really going forth as, as far as he could have gone. Because, you know, he had a one-of-a-kind voice. Nobody sounded like Tony Thompson to this day. Like, that is one voice you never heard again after he passed. And rest in peace, Tony. He contributed songs to Johnny Gill's 1996 album, Let's Get the Mood Right. One of the songs, mm-hmm. So Gentle, featured his bandmate, Ron DeVoe. Was there ever an offer to work with New Edition on the reunion project, Home Again, or any of the later solo projects? No, I never worked with any of them. That was the only time I worked with Ron DeVoe. However, Johnny and I are still, to this day, really good friends, and um, I did some more work with him later on. Yes, sir. Um, the, ah, it would be you, the, the, the Trey song that he covered. Mm-hmm. That was another favorite. So 98 hits. I'm a junior in high school, and Tyrese Sweet Lady drops. Did you have any mm-hmm. idea that song would take off the way that it did and it would still be a classic 22 years later? No, definitely not. It was already a year and a half to two years old, um, and it wasn't finished. So I definitely didn't think it would end up being what it ended up being for sure. Before we leave the 90s and move into your work this century, I'm going to take on to my memory lane the songs you may have forgotten. What I'd like to know is, if the original artist turned the song down, who would your next choice be? So I'm going to reach into my little thinking cap and pull out some gems. Keith Jackson, Mature Love. Um, That would have been, I don't remember who was out around that time, but it would have been a male artist. I did it, I wrote it for her, but if she didn't do it, it would have been a male artist uh, around that time. I, I can't remember all the people that was out. Like, I worked with Riff, you know, um, maybe them. I don't know. Uh, but definitely would have been a male artist. Petra, Sense of Attraction. That was just for her, period. There was nobody else that could do that. I agree. Jason Weaver, Real Eyes. Um... That was just for him, too. <laughs> There's nobody else I could have thought about to do it. That's all love, sir. Brian McKnight, Jam Knock. Now, that was a remix. So he had it. They, uh, the label wanted they, they. It was like more of a ballad, um, and they wanted, they needed, he needed more up-tempo, so they asked me to remix it and make it more of an up-tempo. Vertical Hold, Love Today. 
Um, me and Carl Thomas did that song. We wrote that song specifically for Vertical Hole. And last but not least, Third Avenue, The Minute You Fall in Love. Oh, man. Um, that was a demo that I did when we had a meeting with Dick Griffey, and they asked us to work with them. I played that song, and they liked that song. So it was it's like one of those things that it could have been for anybody, but I played it, they liked it, and it ended up on the Deep Blue C, uh, the Deep Blue soundtrack. They had to had to flip it on you, so I had to you know not say songs that people might not know. Yeah, I oh no, they're not gonna know none of those songs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you you'd be surprised. I mean, my um, I have a lot of music fans that read album press like I do, but you know, as I said earlier, your resume speaks for itself. So we're in the new century. You have no signs of slowing down. You work with B2K on Why I Love You from their self-titled mm-hmm. debut. In your opinion, was there potential for the group to mature into a credible R&B group, or do you think Omarion was always destined for solo success? No, I think they could have. I think they could have done it, man. They could have been like a new addition. Um, yeah, people didn't believe. really know, but uh, Jay Boog had a voice. He had, he had he could have yep. really matured into it, and he could have he could have definitely sang some. So I, I tried him out on girlfriend and he did really good and you know they corrected me and said no omarion's the voice so he can't do it so um but i did learn that jay bug would have been able to do something and if Fizz wanted to really get serious he could have was there ever an official split of the characters yeah i left in 2000 the end of 2001 and started songbook in 2002 and songbook brings us to Mr. Trey Songs. Now, I've heard numerous, numerous stories, but I want to hear from the man himself, Mr. Troy Taylor. When did Trey Songs come to your attention? Um, he came to our attention in 2000, in 2000, I think. No, 2001. He came to my attention because Charles uh, went to school with his stepdad. So stepdad was asking him, could you, you know, listen to him and, and give some feedback and since Charles was mostly the, the mainly the um, business side, he asked me to do it. And so Trey came to my house, and that's how we met. Speaking of Trey songs, his debut, I Gotta Make It, dropped on July 26, 2005. At the time, I was in the Air Force serving overseas, and the song was kind of loving, and in the middle were both late-night creeping anthems for myself as well as a bunch of the homies. What was your favorite song from Trey's debut? Um, kind of loving is definitely one of them. Um, let me think. Kind of loving, make love tonight, and middle. Uh, in the middle, and cheat on you. Definitely cheat on you. Yeah, it gotta go. Yeah, that first album, man. The way he um was, the way you all just had that chemistry was. Crazy. I mean, what people don't know is that that album was actually two years old by the time it came out, and that was the one thing that pissed me off is because the label at the time was trying to tell me how to do a Trey Songz album, and the the date that it came out really was Pretty Ricky's date, and we ended up having to swap because Pretty Ricky had grind on me, and it took off before we could even get started. So the label asked if I could, if we could swap dates with them, and then asked me to go out to Florida to help finish Pretty Ricky's album. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's crazy. And, you know, just listening to um, I Gotta Make It, it sounded so fresh for the time. You told me two years old, man. That's a testament right there to your, to your talent and Trey's talent. 
So yeah, it was it was perfect. It was perfect for the time that I was supposed to come out. So Trey released what some fans consider his thriller in the form of Ready. From a creative standpoint, following two very, very good albums, I Gotta Make It and Trey Day, from a creative standpoint, what was the mindset that yourself and Trey had while making the Ready Project? Well, the Ready Project, I was in a, a weird position because I was going through a divorce age of 40, and I was very unhappy and very angry. The only thing I could do was focus on Trey's album and making sure that the album was everything it needed to be. So my state of mind wasn't even wasn't even technically um, creative as creative as the album ended up because I was really, really, really in a kind of like a real daze through the whole process. But I had to make sure that album was good. So I had to ignore the, the inner feelings and battles of going through the divorce and focus on the music. So. People say, you know, Ready's a classic, and that's great. You know, all I remember is going through my divorce. Understood. So what was the inspiration behind Songbook Entertainment and calling yourself the mayor of R&B? Well, two different questions. Okay, so Songbook came from inspired by Stevie Wonder's talking book. So um, he had talking books, and so I wanted to make Songbook. Um, and then the mayor of R&B is basically me inserting myself into today's R&B music for this generation and then giving a little bit more insight, chord progressions, harmonies, bridges, just inserting, you know, what I grew up on and what what, what can take their music to the next level, song-wise or track-wise. It's doing a hell of a job, sir. Because Thank one you. Thing that, one thing that I love about your music, Mr. Taylor, is that you haven't tried to get with modern trends your stuff still sounds grown man, bridges, harmonies, authentic R&B. So salute Thank to you, you for that. As someone who's been in the game for 30 years, what is your response when you hear the term R&B is dead? Well, most people who say R&B is dead, it's not people who are really look, looking for R&B. Because if they were looking for it and they really wanted it, then they would know there's Lucky Day, there's Daniel Caesar, there's her. Um, Kevin Ross. Um, uh, it's so much R&B out there, it's just not on the radar of hip-hop. So it never died. It just got overshadowed. Totally agree. And I'm always um, about referring folks to artists that I'm listening to. I'm like, I'm always taking on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. It's R&B. And I'll look at what dropped and was hot. And I'm like, yeah, check this out. So I mean, we have to promoted ourselves because stuff you're on the radio isn't how it used to be. I'm sure you remember back in the day, in my, well, in my youth, like every week it seemed like a new R&B record was going to drop or a group record, and it's not like that anymore, unfortunately. So we no. have to, you know, as the fans, artists, uh, the label, that. the label don't want it. They don't do artist development anymore, so they expect an IG to raise you and be the art, you know, teach you how to be an artist. And with R&B being a little bit more of a, a process, it doesn't, the Internet and all that stuff doesn't work for R&B. It works for hip-hop. Totally true. And it's a shame. Yeah, it, it'll come back. I mean, there was a time when I was growing up when, you know, hip-hop had an hour, you know, the hip-hop mix, the hip-hop hour, you know, Mr. Magic and Magic Wand, and, like, it was, 
he'll just have an hour of hip hop and then the rest of his R and B. So it kind of swapped out because now it's like in order to hear Quiet Storm music, you got to wait till midnight, get all the ballads and all of that stuff. Now, so but it goes in a circle. So it was it started off one way to end back the other. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, you work with Whitney, you work with Patty, you work with Aretha, you work with the Ozzy Brothers, the OJ's. Mr. Taylor, who's left on your musical bucket for you to work with? Because your resume is well, vastly impressive. It would have been Luther. I still got to get to Charlie Wilson. Uh, somehow, some way, he's he's one of my all-time favorites. The Gap Band is definitely one of my things, you know, uh, groups that I listen to, and his voice is classic, and he sounds better than ever. So I, I definitely got to get to Charlie. Did you get a chance to work with Stevie? Um, I worked with Stevie on the Let's Get the Move Right album, um, doing background for Johnny Gill. That's the closest. Oh, that's the closest I got with Stevie. Yep. Ava DuVernay approaches you with an idea for a jukebox musical film centered on your music. What are five songs that must be included in the film from your catalog? Um, gotta go. Sweet Lady, um, let's see, um, let, me, let, me dip, let me dig deep inside. I Found My Everything, a song I did on Mary J. Blige. Um, well, I actually produced her vocals. Um, just thinking of musical-wise, what would sound good on stage. Uh, that, how many, how many is that? Uh, that's how many? Three. That's three. Okay, three. Um, think, think, think. Uh, that's a good question. I've never had that question before. Um, I would have been prepared if I read those questions, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Wait, wait. Give me a second. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's like I've worked with so many people I forget. And it's not until somebody says something. Uh, all I want. 702, um, that's four. Uh, let's see, let's see. Let me give me a good one. Give me another one. Another one. Um, I want to say Unashamed by Whitney Houston. Just cool. performance-wise on stage. And the reason why I asked that question is I'm, a, I'm also a Broadway fan, and I've seen numerous okay. musicals. Like I saw Beautiful. I saw um, Rock of Ages, Mamma Mia. And I'm, I've always had the idea in my head, I'm like, yo, if somebody were to do something just sit on the R&B, like off your catalog, off Teddy's catalog, I know that Face did it in the early 2000s where he did Love Will Make Things Happen with Sardis' brother and Don Robinson. They went around the country. Oh, uh-huh. Face's catalog. And I'm like, you know, Mr. Taylor has a massive catalog. So let me ask Mr. Taylor this question. Yeah, but I don't be thinking about it. It's like it's like after this interview, then it'll hit me and everything will come to my mind. So once the COVID is over, can you share with us some artists you plan on working with or who's lined up for the lab? Well, um, I got Devin Culture, who is the young Maxwell. I got Inigo Sane, who's like a little hundred percenter. He, he makes his music. He makes the tracks. He writes the tracks. He records. He just does it all, and he's like a little, I don't know, he's like a little dream uh, or 
uh, I don't know. He's just a different type of kid, um, but very, very talented. And then I have Edward Beck, who is like an August Alcina. Are you picking up something with uh, Trey for later this year or early next year? Um, I'm not, I'm trying to see what Trey is doing. Like we've been working, we got a lot of good music for the uh, project. I don't know when he plans on putting it out, but we've been working on it. Really, you know, it's been it's some good music, and we've definitely got gotten back to our chemistry. Yeah, I need me a Trey Songs record in the uh, <laughs> something new because Trey Trey's one of my favorite artists, and he always um since since '05, and I think I saw Trey open up for. Jay Holiday back in 07 in Baltimore. And I was a Trey fan, but, like, you know, when I saw him, I was like, yeah, Trey definitely is on his way to becoming – and this, this was pretty ready. So I just knew, like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's definitely going to be an R&B superstar. And then I saw him again open for Usher. I think I've seen Trey at least seven or eight times. Well, like, anytime he comes to D.C., I make effort to go see him. And I really think he gets somewhat of a – bad rap from people like not Trey's but an official singer. You just gotta check out, you know, his albums and not just go by what's on the radio. Right. I mean the first right. the first three alone are vicious and then every album after that to me has been consistent with at least eight or nine tracks that I rock with. Man, that's just my opinion though. Right, right. So you're on vacation back in New Haven and happen to bump into the Obamas. They asked you to take them to the best New Haven style pizzeria. Where would you take them? Pizza House. Yeah, New Haven Pizza is uh we got a we got a spot up here in DC called um Two Amy's and it's it's okay. I don't think mm-hmm. it's that authentic, you know, New Haven style. So I probably gotta go to New Haven to get New York, you know, to get the real deal. It's kinda like with Philly and a cheesesteak. You can come yeah, close yeah. anywhere you go, but it's nothing like a Philly cheesesteak from Philly. Like, you have to have the authentic Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. So before we close out, where can fans find you on social media? And is there anything you'd like to add? Um, social media, Troy Taylor, at Troy Taylor TTU. Um, and I just want to say that um, allow this COVID time to give you time to experiment on the things that you wanted to try but didn't want but didn't was afraid to try because you didn't think it was going to go with what's going on. Right now the music industry is being rewritten and it's it's a little weird and nobody knows what's going to happen. The artists are really out of pocket. They don't know what to do with themselves cuz they they ain't got no shows that they could stunt money and putting their show money on IG so they're like a little messed up. But I tell all the creative people right now who are up and coming this is the time to really, really experiment with your sound, have fun. The spotlight is off, and you can just do what you want to do and see what happens. If it doesn't work, oops, it was it was quarantined, so nobody charges it to you. Totally respect that. I totally agree with Mr. Um, Taylor. I mean, I started my podcast you know, during the COVID, and I had no intention of doing a podcast, but here I am. So I want to thank Mr. Troy Taylor for taking time out of his busy schedule to chop it up with me on my platform. Uh, check out his brother's catalog. It goes 30 years deep. So, you know, I get it. Troy Taylor is a legend to me. I hope you guys turn out some of the stories he talked about. And just to piggyback off what Mr. Taylor said, I'm going to leave you guys with a quote from St. Jerome. Good 
better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. Until the next time, stay positive, stay inspired, peace and blessings, done, out.